BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Riley Silverman, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. A dark vision of a violent dystopian future a peek inside the world of computer game characters struggling to survive, and the work of the great musical masters of the past, all given new life while infused with the sounds of the future. Electronic music is a mainstay of modern nightclubs. The once experimental genre has broken through to the pop scene and thrive with festivals like Tomorrowland or the Electric Daisy Carnival. But much of the contemporary success of the form owes credit to decades of sonic tinkering, emerging technologies, and artists taking risks with an untested form. Musical pioneers who not only helped shape the modern electronic scene, but the future of theatrical film scores as well. So plug in your synths and get ready to jam along, because today we're here to tell you about one such herald of electronica, Wendy Carlos. Though she was assigned male at birth, Wendy would later recount in an interview for Playboy that as early as five or six years old that she felt aware of feelings that would later be understood as gender dysphoria. I remember being convinced I was a little girl, she said, and not knowing why my parents didn't see it clearly. It's difficult while researching Wendy to find materials that don't dead name or misgender her during the earlier parts of her life before she came out. But in the spirit of celebrating her as the woman she's let us know she is and has lived openly as since 1979, we will only refer to her by her chosen name, Wendy, and using her stated pronouns, she and her, as we tell her story. This is the dignity and the respect that we feel should be afforded to all trans and gender nonconforming individuals, and especially when we're here to celebrate her as an icon to the form. Wendy Carlos was born in Pawtucket, Rhode Island in 1939. Her family was a working class lot that adored music as a way of unwinding. Her uncles played trombone and trumpet while her mother played the piano and sang. Wendy herself began playing the piano at six years old and was something of a prodigy. She even begun writing her own compositions by age 10. As if her early aptitude for music wasn't enough, she also constructed a small computer at just 14 years old. Just to really underscore that point, she built a computer at 14 years old in 1953. This was a time when most adults hadn't encountered a computer in their lives, much less built one. But these dual loves fascinated Wendy. She earned a scholarship from Westinghouse and attended Brown University, where she attempted a double major in physics and music. But as she got more into her collegiate life, she began to hit a wall with half of that double major. Despite her natural aptitude and technical skill with scientific pursuits, the lack of access to complicated scientific study in her youth made it difficult to properly pursue it at the collegiate level. Carlos later recounted her frustrations during a 2003 interview for the public radio program Music Mavericks. I went from being one of those top-the-class people to being right at the very bottom, she said. 
it was a very traumatic time for me. I was trying to rush to get into something that I had been ill-prepared for, and the mathematical side of it particularly got to me. After meeting with her advisor, a physics professor, he encouraged Wendy to find a way to use music to explore the elements of science that she was interested in and had an aptitude for. This sentiment was echoed by the head of the music department, Alan Coolidge, who helped Wendy find a new path. She would stop taking science classes, but together they'd form a new curriculum for her, a special study program that would allow her to fill in the gaps of her scientific knowledge in order to best enhance her own study of music. Her academic career massively benefited from this pioneering course. Instead of fearing she'd fail out, she found herself on the dean's list. She then went on to earn her MA in music at Columbia University. Right now we're listening to the A-track and we're mixing, sort of playing the role of the conductor, putting together, in this case pair of tracks which has all of the string section that sounds like this as a harpsichord track after graduating wendy was completely enraptured by electronic music she didn't consider it something she had pursued she thought it was something that had chosen her she spent hours every night keeping herself up often until 4 a.m creating different musical sounds from a variety of devices like tape recorders or sound mixers she received counseling from Harry Benjamin, an endocrinologist and sexologist who had received notoriety for his connection to Christine Jorgensen, the first widely known figure in the United States to receive gender confirmation surgery. Benjamin's work and his standards of care for trans patients would eventually evolve into the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, and their standards are the guidelines and protocols that most medical professionals follow when it comes to the treatment of trans or gender nonconforming people today. While still closeted, Wendy found work at Gotham Recording as a tape editor, and it was there that she would first meet Robert Moog. For those of us less initiated in the history of electronic music, Moog was an engineer who created the first commercially available synthesizer, and perhaps even more importantly, the more portable version, known as the Mini Moog. By transforming the synthesizer from a massive machine that could fill a room into a more compact version that would be accessible to musicians, Moog helped to democratize the electronic sound. The importance of this to the genre can't be understated. And neither can Wendy Carlos's contributions to the development of the instrument. She, along with a handful of other musicians, helped Moog with his design, contributing suggestions and asking questions as he worked on it. In a memorial on her website to Moog, who passed away in 2005, Wendy spoke of the relationship by saying, Bob always deferred on musical matters to those of us who came from that side of the art-tech equation, she wrote. We, on the other hand, deferred to Bob on all engineering decisions and designs. From the beginning, it was a balanced yin-yang relationship between a maker of musical tools and the artist to use those tools. Moog himself marveled that Wendy took more naturally to the machine than almost anyone he ever met. He needed a showcase of the possibility held within the synth, and Wendy was just the musician for that job. Switched on bar captured the popular imagination and became one of the biggest selling classical albums of all time. The condenser, composed by Wendy Carlos in the middle of Bach's Brandenburg Concerto No. 3, was the first genuine musical masterpiece for the synthesizer. That was a clip from the YouTube channel Music on X produced by the University of Adelaide, discussing both Moog and Wendy Carlos and the importance of Carlos's experimental album Switched on Bach. Switched on Bach was the culmination of several years of work and -and back-and-forth attempts from the two to find the best way to truly showcase the new device. Around this same time, Wendy had begun to collaborate with producer Rachel Elkind, forming a creative partnership that would last from 1967 to 1980. Once an aspiring singer, her shyness and stage fright led her into a producer role, and Wendy refers to her as the silent partner on her most successful period of work. 
It's important while discussing the work of Wendy Carlos that we also acknowledge Elkind, whose contributions were crucial to her success. Indeed, it was Elkind who came up with the idea of creating an entire album of Johann Sebastian Bach music using the Moog synthesizer, which Wendy would then record. The resulting album went platinum, and not only did it put the Moog synth on the map, but it brought Carlos along as well. Switched on Bach was created via a $2,500 advance from Columbia Records' Masterworks label. Columbia gave complete freedom to Carlos and Elkind to create their album, which was an extremely time-consuming process, as the early synthesizer could only produce a single note at a time. The album was an unexpected, massive success. It even won three Grammy Awards in 1970. Carlos and Elkind followed up this success with another album of synth recordings of classic works entitled The Well-Tempered Synthesizer, this time recording the works of four eclectic composers, including Morbach. This success provided Wendy with the financial means to begin her gender transition via hormone replacement treatments. Due to the alterations these caused to her appearance, combined with her hesitancy to come out of the closet, Wendy continued to present as a man for public performances, including wearing fake sideburns, a man's wig, and she even drew on facial hair using a makeup pencil. But Bach's success also brought the film ministry to the pair's door. Carlos and Elkine were approached by two different science fiction films looking for them to compose the soundtrack, including Stanley Kubrick, who wanted the duo's sound for his adaptation of Anthony Burgess's novel, A Clockwork Orange, a gig that they accepted. In 1972, Wendy underwent gender confirmation surgery. She would continue to record and release music still under her old name for marketing purposes, but she withdrew from the public eye, living in what is known in the trans community as stealth. A hobby that Wendy developed during this stealth period was eclipse chasing, literally traveling the globe in search of eclipses and then attempting to photograph and document them. She even developed a side reputation as a notable eclipse photographer, perhaps reconnecting with the science she departed from in college. It was a strangely fitting metaphor for her isolation from the world, still releasing music yet vanishing from vision, leaving her light still pouring out from the darkened edges. This more reclusive life didn't slow down the musical work of Carlos and Elkind, however. The pair continued to experiment with different sounds and technologies to create them. Carlos wanted to be open to different sounds for her work and even went so far as to have a prepaid reply envelope included in the pressings of their second Switched On Bach album so the audience could write back with suggestions of what they wanted to hear from Carlos's future work. They released an album in 1975 titled By Request, which, as a result of the mixed replies they received, included more classical tracks, original compositions by Carlos from the 60s, and even some synth covers of Eleanor Rigby and What's New Pussycat. This album would be the last that Carlos would release under her male name. In 1979, Wendy Carlos had a very public coming out in the pages of the May issue of Playboy magazine after being interviewed by Arthur Bell, a journalist and gay rights activist. Modern sources differ on Carlos's long-term feelings about the interview, but contemporary readers would be likely to find it invasive. Research sources have said that Carlos was critical of the interview in later years via her website, but if such posts were once present, they seem to have been deleted or buried now. Later, in that 1985 article for People, Wendy would refer back to her coming out and express regret for not doing so sooner, and despite her prolific set of releases in the 70s, she felt that her closet-driven isolation robbed her of an era's worth of creativity. In 1980, after almost a decade of creating music together, Carlos and Elkind would end their partnership after Elkind decided to move to France with her husband. 
The final work together was another Kubrick soundtrack, this time for The Shining. Though they would compose an entire soundtrack for him, Kubrick ultimately chose to use only two of the songs, including the instantly recognizable main theme. Following the end of her collaboration with Elkind, Wendy Carlos took on a new business partner, her roommate Anne-Marie Franklin, and was soon approached to compose another film soundtrack, this time from the Walt Disney Company, who wanted her to record the music for their new science fiction film, Tron. Carlos agreed to do the film, but she insisted on incorporating an actual orchestra alongside her electronic music. The film's score features the London Philharmonic Orchestra, the UCLA Chorus, and the Royal Albert Hall Organ. Carlos continued to work throughout the 1980s, composing several more albums for Columbia, which had become CBS masterworks. In 1988, she even partnered with comedic music icon Weird Al Yankovic on a parody of Peter and the Wolf. She arranged the classic music of the composition using a MIDI orchestra, her first time using the emerging digital music interface, while Yankovic adapted the story and provided the narration on the recording. When the 25th anniversary of Switched on Bach came around in 1992, Wendy decided to re-record the entire album, updating it from the most synths that she'd originally recorded it on and using the digital instruments and techniques available to her at the time. In 2005, she released a two-volume set entitled Rediscovering Lost Scores, collecting much of the music she had composed for Clockwork, The Shining, and Tron, as well as an unreleased soundtrack for a fourth film she worked on, the 1998 British film Woundings, directed by Roberta Hanley. This set remains the last record publicly released by Wendy Carlos. While working on a program like this, there can be a temptation to editorialize or hypothesize about unknown factors within the psyche of the subject at hand. Such is the case of Wendy Carlos, who, somewhere around 2009, completely withdrew from public engagement. This absence is most notable via her website, in which she kept up fairly regular access to her fans, with essays on the death of Robert Moog, her professional partnership with Elkind, and even her thoughts following 9-11. It's also an absence equally felt in the lack of availability of her music, which has almost vanished from the soundscape, living only in the physical collections of those who may still own vintage copies of her records. Where the 25th anniversary of Switched on Bach led Carlos to re-record the entire album, the 50th has come and gone without so much as a reissued box set. There's a peculiar asymmetry that now, in an era when most music exists in the digital space, the groundbreaking electronic compositions of Wendy Carlos have all but vanished. We wondered while including her in this list of forgotten women of genre if the case may be that Wendy Carlos could actually be choosing to stay forgotten. What role does discussing the publicly available history of a notable person play in their desire for a sense of privacy? In a piece for Cultured Mag, writer Ezra Soraya Padgett speculated on the meaning behind Carlos's disappearance, which we'll avoid doing here to respect her privacy. But Paget raises another question, one that is at the root of our own journey here. Though often the question of the separation between an artist and their work hinges on the value of an artwork in light of its maker's choices, Paget writes, Carlos offers a powerful counterpoint. Are we allowed to go on appreciating an artwork despite an artist's wish to have it buried? Are we allowed to remember what the artist wishes forgotten? Can we even know what she wants anyway? To use one of Carlos's favorite phrases, quo vadis. Or, where do we go from here? For those who do desperately want to experience Wendy's music, there is one resource. Eric DeLuca, a professor of electronic music at Brown University, the very school that created the special course study that guided Wendy Carlos as a wayward student, has curated an archive of all of her work and organizes community listening programs in her hometown of Pawtucket. DeLuca, speaking to Paget, stated simply, 
It is okay that Wendy Carlos is private and that she makes her music difficult to find. It makes her music more special. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written and read by Riley Silverman. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls.